Lord Jesus, I pray that as we spend time on this Sabbath morning talking about this great gift of the Sabbath, as we spend time over the next several weeks talking about the Sabbath, that truly we will come to love it more. Not simply as a day that we keep, but that as a day that we see the intrinsic value in it, the beauty of it, the joy of it, the blessing of relationship in it. In your name we pray, amen. You'll open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20 and verse 8. I'm in the English Standard Version. You can be in any one. We have Bibles in the pew rack and, of course, on your smartphone and your tablets. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 8. Whichever version you're reading, they begin with pretty much the same four words. The fourth commandment begins with pretty much the same four words. Remember... The Sabbath day. Remember the Sabbath day. Most of us start our remembering in regards to the Sabbath with what I call the negations. Most of us start our remembering when it comes to Sabbath with, with what we can't do, with what we were taught we're not supposed to do, with the, the do's and with the, with the don'ts. This is really not a, a great place to begin our thoughts when it comes to the Sabbath. Such a beautiful, beautiful gift. In fact, I would say it is, is a horrible place to start. And yet it's what many of us do. We remember that this is the day that we don't go shopping or that we don't participate in competition or we try to remind our kids or others that this is the day that we don't watch TV or listen to certain types of music. Many of us have built, in fact. Many of us have built or have built for ourselves or, or built for others an entire Sabbath theology around the negations, around the, the no's and the don'ts and the you better not or else, the thou shalt nots. Let's see how many honest folk are here with us this morning. When you were kids, did anyone stand by the window and watch to see when that stinking sun would disappear? few honest people, many laughs, so either they know someone who did that or they're all lying, right? Did any of you drive circles maybe around the movie theater or the miniature golf course in order to make sure that you weren't in the parking lot before sundown was over because that just didn't feel quite right? I remember when I accepted Jesus, and because of maybe some of my upbringing and my thoughts on the Sabbath, I still would, was regularly going to uh, Saturday night movies, and, and I would, on those Saturday nights, probably only those Saturday nights, I would drive, or those Saturday evenings, I would drive the exact speed limit, and I would take the long way to the movie theater there in Centerville, Ohio, in order to make sure that I wasn't sitting in the parking lot before the sundown, because it just didn't quite feel right. Something I learned at a young age was that it didn't have to be dark for the sun to be down. Do you guys remember when you discovered this reality? We hated it. Some of you are nodding, especially you younger folk. We hated it on Friday night. The sun's not down yet. We'd always use that excuse. But on Saturday night, it was like, well, it's sunset. 
even though the sun's not down. I found a sunset calendar, the back of the Adventist Review. It's still there, in fact. Some of you may remember this. Uh, there's a sunset calendar, and they have the major cities listed. And then they also have the Adventist ghettos. I grew up in the Adventist ghettos, so like Angwin and Loma Linda, and they list, you know, that the sun goes down at this time. And I remember checking that, and, and then I became, I went from being a sun watcher to a clock watcher. Anyone else in here have those moments? That sundown calendar. I learned later in life that when your parents said Sabbath for, was for being quiet and spending some time laying down, that this was not actually a command of God. Later in life, I discovered this was just so that my parents could take a nap and do it all in the name of Jesus. We didn't wear shorts to the coast. Why not? So we don't swim on the Sabbath. We only what? Wade. Oh, some of you know. We didn't listen to Amy Grant and Michael W. Smith. Maybe some of you still don't do that. But we didn't listen to Amy Grant on the Sabbath. We listened to him on other days, but not on the Sabbath because it was too raucous for the Sabbath, and the Sabbath was to be, you know, a quiet day. So Sandy Patty it was, although she was just as loud, but I guess she was somehow more contained. Many of us had a Sabbath theology and still possess a Sabbath theology built on what we do not do. Sabbath was defined by what we were against more than by what we were actually now for those here that don't have that idea any idea what I'm talking about maybe you're a new Adventist and you're like I don't even know what you're talking about then rejoice and praise the Lord and hopefully over the next four Sabbaths we can, we can build a theology a little more balanced today I want us to begin to construct that new theology to look at a, a, a true theology of the Sabbath now I want to pause here and say something because I know some of you are already getting a little worried about it. So let me pause here and say something. I am not actually opposed to the negations of the Sabbath. I, in myself, probably some of you would define me as quite a strict Sabbath keeper in our family and in our life. And we will talk about the negations more later on in the series. But I believe if the thou shall not and the don'ts and the do nots and the you cannot and you better not is what is the defining borders of our Sabbath theology. If our thoughts on Sabbath are mostly consumed with what we don't do, then our theology is, in fact, wrong. And even though we may keep the Sabbath at the letter of the law, if we, do, if we have a Sabbath theology based on the negations, then we are, in fact, breaking the Sabbath at the heart of the law. Did you know that you can be a tremendous Sabbatarian, and a tremendous Sabbath keeper, and still be breaking God's Sabbath law. You can. It is truth. So let us today to begin to define the Sabbath by what we affirm rather than by what we oppose. By what we do rather than by what we don't do. Turn to Exodus chapter 31. And I'm going to be beginning in verse 16. And this will take a little bit of explanation, so please put on your listening ears and, and, and wake up your mind, shift around in your seat for a minute if you need to, because as I read it in the English, it's not going to make sense what I'm saying, but I'm going to explain it to you 
in the way that the Hebrews read this. Exodus chapter 31, beginning in verse 16. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. This is a perpetual covenant, a perpetual sign that God gave to his people, a perpetual gift of relationship. Verse 17. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. Now listen to verse 18, and then I'm going to further unpack verse 18. And he gave to Moses, when he had finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai, and he gave the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone, written with the finger of God. Written with the finger of God. Now, what does this teach us in regards to the Sabbath? Well, in English, verse 18 seems to teach us nothing. But verse 18 in the Hebrew says a lot more. A lot more. The Hebrew word is for he gave is vayatan, to Moses. He gave to Moses. Vayatan el moesh, moshe, moesh, moshe, to Moses. And then there's this word, kekalato which we translate in English that he, he put an end to or he, or he ceased speaking or, or he stopped what he was doing. But the word kekalato, according to Hebrew scholars and according to, to some things in the Talmud and, and other places, what we translate as he made an into, they translate as his bride. And so here he lays out in verse 16 and 17, this shall be, a perpetual, a, a, an eternal covenant. It shall be a perpetual sign to you. And he gave this to Moses. And we say, and put an end to. But the Hebrews would take it, and he gave this to Moses as his bride. And so the Hebrews rabbis would take this text, and they would remind the people that the Sabbath, the Sabbath isn't simply a law. The Sabbath is like the gift of a bride. In fact, maybe there in your Bibles you want to write in the margins, the Sabbath was given to us like the gift of a bride. God was refreshed and rested on the Sabbath, and then he gave the Sabbath as a bride. Why is this significant? Why does this matter? Why is, it, is, is knowing the uniqueness and the potential uniqueness of this text significant? Because if we look at it from the, from the Hebrew perspective, if we looked at it from the, from the Israel perspective as a bride, suddenly this isn't about anymore what we can and can't do. If we say God gave this to Moses and, he, and that was the end, then it, then it loses some meaning. But if he gave it to Moses as a bride, suddenly this, this, this command of the Sabbath takes on relational meaning. It takes on relational meaning. We aren't remembering anymore that this is a day to go to church though we do go to church we aren't remembering that that today we get to sleep in a little bit longer does anyone like sleeping in a little bit longer on the sabbath yeah all of you lucky people when do i get to sleep in longer i want to know that we aren't remembering that this is the day that we get to go and eat a big meal although you should enjoy a big meal on the sabbath there's nothing wrong with that in fact the uh, uh, in the Jewish culture, they believe that you should break your fast on the Sabbath because the Sabbath is a celebration and you should enjoy 
a wonderful meal on the celebration, the Lord's celebration. This isn't a day that we get to take a big nap. What we are to remember is the relationship. We aren't even to remember the law aspect of it. The Sabbath wasn't set up so we would remember the law. We are to remember it as a relationship. Remember the Sabbath day. Remember the Sabbath day is an appeal to remember the relationship as the gift of a bride. Remember the Sabbath day, the Bible says in Hebrews or in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 8, to keep it holy. The word holy in Hebrew is the word kadosh, which we simply translate as holy in most of our readings. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 8 actually uses the phrase la kadesh, which in the Talmud was also used to convey the idea of a consecrating a woman for marriage. Consecrating a woman for marriage. So when they were speaking of a bride getting ready for her, her wedding celebration, when they were speaking of a bride on her wedding day, they would speak of her being in the form of La Kadesh, in this, this holy state. And, and here in Exodus chapter 20, it says, remember the Sabbath day, La Kadesh, as a bride, as a bride on her wedding day. As a bride on her wedding day. The rabbis would say the Sabbath is a bride on her wedding day. And we, humanity, we are the grooms welcoming in this bride on her big day. And how do we welcome in a bride on her big day? Do we come into it just, oh, I wish I could do this or I wish I could do that? No, on the wedding day there is a celebration. I don't know about you all, but, but, but my wedding day was a giant celebration from the beginning to the end. It started out, it started out, with a, with a wonderful celebration on a, on a wonderful place, Copper River Country Club in Fresno, California, where I shot an 83 that morning when I got married. We then went to Turlock, and everyone dressed up in their very best, and we, we got dressed up as, as nice as we could because we were going to meet the bride. And there she was, the bride herself, just as beautiful now as she was then, but, but so beautiful such a beauty that words can't even express how beautiful my wife is. And we took all kinds of pictures, pictures that we still have around the house and we have in books at the house. The boys love to look at them and people sometimes come over and look through our books. And we don't put the pictures away somewhere and hide them away. No, we, we, we keep the pictures out. Why? Because it's a time we like to remember this wonderful celebration. And then we went to the church and all our family and friends were there at the church. A few of my family and friends and a whole lot of Christina's family and friends were there at the church. 400 to 500 people. The, church, the Turlock Seventh-day Adventist Church was packed from front to back. And it was July and someone forgot to turn on the air conditioner. But it was still a celebration, praise Jesus. And so we dismissed everybody by rows, which we thought was going to be a great idea at the time. Not realizing that that means you have to hug 400 to 500 people. It's not like church where you all kind of sneak out right at the end of church. I see you guys do that. We shouldn't do that, but I see you guys do that. Everyone stayed, and so we hugged from the front to the back. And I love hugs, but even 400 to 500 hugs is, is intense. I was worn out afterwards. But it was a celebration, and everyone wanted to celebrate and say how much they, they enjoyed the wedding and what a, what a blessing it was. Our dads came up and they, they prayed a prayer over us, my dad and Christina's dad. And our friends, Greg and Kim Taylor, wrote us a song. And, 
and there were tears of joy, and there was laughter. And then we drove from the church to where our reception was in a Rolls Royce. And we drove in this Rolls Royce to the reception. And we were introduced, and we came into to cheers and applause, and there were torches to light the way. It was at night. There was torches to light our way and big candle things in the pool, these, these big arrangements of candles, and everything was lit up so beautifully, and there was, there was great food, and there was dessert, and, and, and a big cake that was specially made, and, and, and people clicked their glasses over and over again so you can kiss over and over again, which is probably the best part of the whole day. And toasts were made, and, and people came up and congratulated us. A bouquet was thrown, and a garter was thrown, and people jumped and tried to fight for these things, and everyone laughed and had fun with that. And then we were escorted out, and, and people cheered, and, and as we were escorted out, people had these, uh, these sparklers, and there were sparklers going everywhere, and there's all these pictures of us going through these tunnels of lights, and people were celebrating this relationship. And the Sabbath is like a bride on her wedding day. Let me ask you, does that sound at all like your typical Sabbath? Does, does that sound at all like your typical Sabbath? For those of you that are married, think of your wedding day and the celebration that you had. Does, does that look like your Sabbath? And God gave Moses the Sabbath as a bride. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Remember the Sabbath day, la Kadesh, like a bride on her wedding day. For all that we don't do on the Sabbath, we must first do. We must first remember. We must first remember that the Sabbath is a celebration of our relationship with Jesus Christ. The Sabbath is a celebration of a deep relationship with God, our creator and our savior. If we built a theology of Sabbath, if we taught our kids and ourselves that Sabbath was a celebration, I believe that not doing certain things would not be so bad. Just like Mark said, Mark asked the kids, the kids are gonna give you the truth. Praise the Lord for kids, right? And Mark asked the kids, how many of you don't like somebody? Amen to that. I know that everybody that works at Shady Grove Hospital is wondering, did John raise his hand so quickly thinking about me? I'm going to go home and tell my wife, John raised his hand thinking about you today, honey. Those kids, and they all said, they said, if this person that you don't like asks you to do something, asks you to do something that you don't want to do, are you happy about it? And what they all say? No. And then Mark said, but if you have a good friend, your best friend asks you to do something, will you do it? Yes. Why? Because they're responding out of what they know intrinsically, which is we are happy to do something for someone in the context of relationship. In the context of relationship. But not outside of that context. And so the Sabbath is oftentimes put as almost a separate thing, this, this, this rule that's here to here, this 24 hours, and it's don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Oh, we get to do something, praise Jesus. That's really how people act. They celebrate more the end of the Sabbath than the beginning of the Sabbath, rather than it being a relationship that they get to celebrate all the way through, this relationship that they had. You know, we sometimes lament when I was young, when I was young, 
we were much better about honoring the Sabbath day. And externally, that might have been true. But I'm sure from generation to generation, we've been just as much sun watchers or clock watchers as they are now. As they are now. It's not because people are horrible secularists. I don't believe that they reject the Sabbath. Maybe it's because they don't understand it's a celebration. It's a day of joy and rejoicing. Think about it very practically, y'all, if we see it as a, as a celebration. I'll start with the guys because I'm a guy and I understand us a little bit better. Y'all know that I like sports. You understand that I like sports and I like to watch sports and I like to play sports and I like to talk about sports. Now, if Christina, on our very first date, if on our very first date, Christina had said to me, I want you to know something. If we get married, you will watch and talk and play less sports than you ever have at any other point in your life. I would have probably said, do you want to pay for your own dinner? Because this is not a a date anymore. And I'm not joking about that. I was once dating this young lady. I'll just tell you a story, and you can get mad at me for being shallow. But I was dating this one young lady, and we had been dating for only about uh, a month, and we had gone out on this one evening, and after a, 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 a long day and a long evening, uh, she said, you know, I really need to do some studies. And she said, can I come back to your place and study? And I said, sure, you can come back and study at my place. And, and uh, I don't know if I didn't have studies or if maybe I just, it's more likely I just didn't do my studies because it was around finals time, so I probably should have been studying for something. But, but there we were, and she was in another room, and I went into uh, my, my, the area where I had a TV, and I put on a Lakers playoff game. It was the year the Lakers beat the Philadelphia 76ers. Some of you may remember that year back in uh, 2001 or 2000, and I put on this Philadelphia 76ers, or this Lakers playoff game. It wasn't the, the championship yet, but it was a playoff game. And I was sitting in there watching this Lakers game, and she came in from her studies, and she says this to me. She said, you know, I don't, I don't really understand why you like to watch sports. I really don't like you watching sports. She said to me, I really don't like you watching sports. I just kind of smiled at her. Is, she, is there a punchline? What? I <laughs> then she asked me, will you turn it off? When I realized she was serious, I was kind, so I turned it off. She went back to studying, not talking to me, studying. And I sat there reading something. Two days later, I I shared with this young lady that our relationship had probably run its course. Why? Because it was the very beginning of the relationship, and already there were negations placed upon me. There was already negations placed upon me. Men who love sports, if your wife has said to you on that very first date, you probably won't watch many sports after we get married. You might have gone the opposite direction. Now, women, it goes the same for you. I have this somewhat bad habit that I've discovered over the years. Christina enjoys shopping. She does a lot of bargain shopping, but she does some shopping. 
And I've realized over the years that I have a problem. I'm trying to get better at it. She showed me something just last night, and I really wanted to say what I'm going to tell you I normally say, but I didn't say it. So you can, you can all affirm me for trying to do better. But I've noticed that sometimes when she comes home from shopping, I'll say things like, oh, yeah, that's so nice. How much did that cost? Wives, you've ever heard this before? Maybe some of you have said your husbands, too. Men, we're, we're, uh, we're hypocrites on this because we spend in huge bulk, and, uh, and we don't know why you would ever question that. Um, but... But she says this, she's, so I say these things. Now I'm getting a little smarter and I'll say something like, oh, that's really nice. What store did you get it at? Because, you know, I started to figure out what stores cost what. <laughs> or I'll say, oh, that's so, that's so nice. Don't you already have a black skirt? Or can you explain to me again why we need throw pillows for every season of the year? <laughs> now, if on our very first date, Christine and I had gone out, and she said, yeah, I really like to, to go shopping. And I said to her, well, I just want you to know that that is not a problem at all. I'm happy that you go shopping. I just want to let you know right now that I'm going to do everything I can to make you feel guilty every time you go. <laughs> and even though I'm going to be a pastor and you're in the medical field and we understand that you have, you're going to make way more money than we do in, my, in our lives together, I'm going to pretend like it's all mine and question everything that you buy. How long does Christina stick around in such a negative scenario? Why? Because no one wants to be part of something that is all about don't do this, don't do that, no, we can't, you better not. No one wants to have a relationship foundation based on negations and negatives. Yet that is so often the boundaries in which we've created the Sabbath. A theology of do's and, I mean, of do nots and don'ts and you better not. That is so often how we encourage others to view the Sabbath. Our kids, very on, very early on, we begin to teach them these things. Don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. So many no's, so many no's. But the Sabbath isn't founded on these things. It's founded on a celebration. It's founded on a celebration. Folks, the first appearance of the Sabbath is not at the law. It is when everything is perfect. And the, God looked around and saw that everything he had made was very good. And then he rested. He celebrated the completion of his work. He celebrated what had taken place. There is nothing wrong with not doing certain things on the Sabbath. It is a holy day and should be treated as such. But not doing things cannot be the foundation of the Sabbath. They must simply be a response to the celebration of the relationship. Christina, when we were dating, never once said to me, never once said to me, over the course of our marriage, you will watch Far less sports than you ever had. She never once asked me not to play as much golf. She never once asked me not to, not to, to talk about my teams on a, on a nauseous basis. But I've discovered that as my relationship with Christina grows and in the moments in which I have free time, I find myself watching sports 
10 times less than I did before I was married. Rather than watching every single Laker game, and when I say every single, close to every single one, except for the ones on the Sabbath, because I didn't do that. But in response to a relationship, I find myself maybe watching two or three games a year. Rather than watching three or four football games on a Sunday, I find myself watching parts of three or four throughout the year. I don't even, I didn't even watch all the Super Bowl this year. We left in the third quarter. I turn off the radio when baseball is on and Christina is in the car because I know that she doesn't like to hear the background noise. It's annoying to her ears to hear the announcers and the background noise of the fans and she goes, how can you listen to that? And I know she doesn't like that. So I don't even make her ask anymore. And when she gets in the car, I just turn off the baseball game because I know she doesn't want to listen to it. I don't do these things because long ago, Christina said, this is going to be the way it is. I refrain the way I used to live out of a natural development and commitment and appreciation of the relationship that I have with my wife and with my family. The Sabbath should flow in such a manner. It should grow out of the natural relationship and, and commitment that we have with our Savior. On Sabbath, I refrain from certain things because I am too busy celebrating my relationship with God. And God is so much more important to me than any of those things. And I can say that in my life with absolute fact at this point. Fifteen years ago, even when I first became a new Christian, I couldn't have told you that. But I can say that as my relationship with Jesus grows, I don't need someone to tell me not to do something on the Sabbath because I don't want to do those things out of a love for my relationship. We get messed up when we lose this understanding. The Pharisees, this is what happened to the Pharisees. The Pharisees were rule keepers. Now their rule keeping wasn't a bad thing. In fact, Jesus in Matthew chapter five tells us if our righteousness does not exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees, then we're in trouble. We're in trouble. Jesus was in affirming the Pharisees and the scribes outward right living. But this right living was what they had become obsessed with and they forgot the heart of the matter. And when you forget the heart of the matter, you no longer are celebrating the relationship. You begin to worship that thing that you're focused on. That thing that you're focused on. Turn to Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23. Verse 25. Matthew chapter 23, verse 25. Jesus here talking to the scribes and the Pharisees. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the house of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgent. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, and the outside also may be clean. Verse 27. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. And so when it came to the Sabbath, when it came to the Sabbath, the Pharisees not only did what God asked them to do in keeping the Sabbath holy, as they believed, but they went even above and beyond it. They went the extra mile. 
And, and, and their Sabbath became a day of negations, a day of burden rather than a day of celebration. And so we read in Mark chapter 2, verses 23 and 24. Now it happened that when he went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, this is speaking of Jesus, and as they went, his disciples began to pluck the heads of grain. And the Pharisees said to him, look, why do they do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them. Have you not, never read what David did when he was in need and hungry? He and those with him, how he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the showbread, which is not lawful to eat except for the priest, and also gave some to those who were, with, who were with him. And then verse 28, Jesus said this, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. In this, Jesus was saying that the Sabbath should be a blessing to us, not a burden. And here's something I know. A celebration is always much more of a blessing than a bunch of people telling me, you better not, you better not, you better not, you better not, you better not. Think about it. Think about it. If we wake up on the seventh day and our thoughts are only about what we can't do that day, if we rise on the Sabbath day and see, that it, see it as a day only to refrain from things, to refrain from work, or that the Sabbath consists in only this is the day I have to go to church because this is the Sabbath, then we are the Pharisees then we are the Pharisees. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made to be a blessing. And when we build our foundation on the blessing of the Sabbath, we make the Sabbath a celebration, a time of rejoicing, a time of praise. And when we make the Sabbath a celebration, that is when we truly remember to praise our Lord. The reason why so many, especially so many of our young people, don't want to keep the Sabbath is because they don't want to worship a day. They want to worship a Savior. And if the day is the focus and what you can't do and what you should not do and what you will not do, then they've started to see that we're just worshiping a day and they want no part of that. They want no part of it. There is something intrinsic within us that longs to worship a savior, that longs to follow after our creator, our maker, our redeemer. But that's all negated when we focus on the negations and the do nots. But when we celebrate the Sabbath, the way the Sabbath is meant to be celebrated, when we remember that the Sabbath is a bride on her wedding day and it is a great celebration, then the Sabbath begins to point us to the one we should truly be worshiping. There's an old allegory that Abraham Joshua Heschel shares in his book entitled The Sabbath. The allegory is this, that when Adam saw the majesty of the Sabbath, its greatness and glory and the joy it conferred upon all beings, he sang a song of praise for the Sabbath day as if to give thanks to the Sabbath day. Then God said to him, Thou singest a song of praise to the Sabbath day and singest none to me, the God of the Sabbath? Are there any of us that sing a song to the Sabbath day but forget to sing a song to the God of the Sabbath? 
Thou singest a song in the allegory, God asks, to the Sabbath day, but singest none to me, the God of the Sabbath. Thereupon the Sabbath rose from its seat and prostrated herself before God, saying, It is a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord, and the whole of creation added, and to sing praise unto thy name, O Most High. Heschel then adds this line, The Sabbath teaches all beings whom to praise. The Sabbath teaches all beings whom to praise. The reason why we should teach the Sabbath as the Lord's holy day is not so that people can obey a law and not be caught up in trouble at the time of trouble. The reason we should teach the Sabbath day is because it directs us to the one who deserves our praise our Savior, and our Creator, Jesus Christ. That is the reason to be evangelistic and to teach the Sabbath day. When rules are the focus of our Sabbath, we become focused on worshiping a day. So I want to ask you today, in your life, in this moment, what has your Sabbath been about? What has your Sabbath been about? Has it simply been a day of do's and don'ts? Has it simply been a day for a good nap and you fooled your kids for a number of years that this is what God wants them to do? Has it simply been a day that you visit the church but, but nothing else? Is it a day that you mainly think about all that you need to do once the sun goes down? Or is it a celebration? Is it a celebration are there torches and lights and people hugging and rejoicing and laughing and singing and praise and a wonderful meal to share together? What have you made the Sabbath for your family? What have you made the Sabbath for your kids? Has it been a celebration? If not, if not, maybe today can be our first Sabbath day that we truly celebrate not the day, but the maker, not only of the day, but the maker of you and I as well. I want to invite you to stand. We're going to sing together hymn number 197. The song is about our relationship with God, our relationship with our Savior. And I pray that as we sing this song, we will not only think of it in the context of the cross or the resurrection or his life, but we will also remember that the Sabbath is a reminder of our relationship with Jesus Christ.
Lord Jesus, may we be a people that sing thy praise in your house forever. Not just in this house, in this church, but within your temple of time, the Sabbath day. May we sing your praises. Lord, and may our hearts and our minds be so consumed with celebration for you that the devil has no place for distraction. The devil has no place to help us to focus on the negative. Lord, may this day be a celebration of our making and our remaking from our loving and our perfect God. In your name we pray. Amen.